applicable uh, to what you are facing or what you will face uh, as you, you read through it uh, and stay in it. And so I've been trying to preach or through, I'm aiming uh, to preach through the entire book of Colossians this month. We've been successful in week one and week two, uh, I hope anyway, uh, in preaching the first and second chapter. Uh, this morning we'll only cover the first 17 verses of chapter three, and then next week we will conclude the rest of uh, the book uh, with the last half of chapter three and the entire uh, in the entirety of chapter 4 uh, is where we will be uh, next week. Uh, you'll remember the, uh, the entire purpose of the book of Colossians is that Paul is pointing out the preeminence of Christ. He is pointing out the preeminence of Christ. Uh, Epaphras has come to him uh, and wondered, oh, one of you boys cut that light off for me, I would appreciate that, that will help everybody else's eyes. Um, the Epaphras has arrived in Rome to Paul in prison uh, and has relayed to him that there are those that are infiltrating the church uh, with man-made philosophies, man-made disciplines, with Judaism, legalism. Uh, and so he has written about the preeminence of Christ. He declares it in the first chapter. Uh, he, uh, and I, as I go through my notes, he declares it in the first chapter. Uh, he defends it in the second chapter. Uh, and then here in the third chapter, he teaches the preeminence of Christ, how that ought to be displayed or how that ought to display itself in a believer's life and the duties of the believer will lead to the fullness in Christ. Remember, uh, what they were tempting and luring the church in Colossae with was if you follow these added philosophies or if you follow these legalistic rituals or if you follow these disciplines, then you will have a fullness in your Christianity. They were trying to add to, they were trying to, uh, to dilute. Anytime you uh, add something uh, to something that is pure, you are uh, corrupting it or diluting it. And they are trying to dilute the purity or corrupt the purity of the gospel of Christ and the preeminence of Christ by adding these things to it. And so what they were luring them with was, if you'll do these things, you'll have a greater fullness. Uh, you'll have that spirituality uh, that you see in me or, or that uh, you so long for or that you see in someone else. If you do this and you do that, uh, then you'll have that, that, that happiness, you'll have that fullness, everything will be just fine for you. So uh, Paul has declared and defended uh, the purity of Christ. And as you come to the end of chapter 2, last week you may have begin, begun to think, well, I don't have to do anything. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, if I don't follow any man-made disciplines and I don't follow uh, any uh, legalities, uh, or any other philosophies, I have nothing to do. That's great, I'll just be a Christian and be in Christ and just go my merry way and know that I'm saved and just feel good all over because I know who Jesus is. That is exactly what Paul is going to uh, stand against here uh, in chapter 3. And uh, for, well, the first couple of chapters have been uh, shouting chapters uh, as we look at the preeminence of Christ. Uh, chapter 3, uh, I think, is going to be a convicting chapter uh, but as we look at it in the light and in the joy of who Christ is and what He has done for us, it will empower us to do what, what God has called us to do and to be for Him in Christ. So let's uh, begin reading. If then, verse 1, you are raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I want to say quickly before we read any further, uh, he starts with, if then you were raised, or since you were raised, or since you have been saved. Understand that there is no use for any unsaved person to start here in chapter 3. Chapter 3 declares the duties of a believer. And we as, as believers are often trying to press the duties of a believer onto unbelievers in an attempt or hope that that might make them believers or acceptable. That is not what we are called to do and that is not how salvation works. Salvation works because of Christ's work. And so chapter 3 is for those of us who have been saved to put on these things. Verse 3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And that verse 11 there is central to this chapter. Where Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for Your Word. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to share Your Word this morning. God, I'm thankful for the folks that are here to, uh, to hear from You, God. They don't come this morning, I pray, to hear from me. Lord, they come to hear from you through the power of the Holy Spirit working in a believer's heart. Lord, under the uh, and by the power of your word. God, and I pray that you would have opportunity to minister to us this morning. God, that we would, uh, Lord, have a good understanding, Lord, of our duty and responsibility as believers. God, and we would have uh, a desire, Lord, in you. God, that we would understand and seek a joy, God, in You, Lord, that comes by abiding in Your commands and doing and living and putting off and putting on the things that You have called us to put off and put on. In Christ's name we ask.
Amen. So the preeminence of Christ, as we've looked in the first chapter and the second chapter, declared and defended, now comes to a place where the rubber meets the road as the preeminence of Christ is to be displayed in those who are Christians, those who are believers, those who call the name or claim the name of Christ. So before I get into the, the verse by verse, the, the kind of the overbearing question, and I do use that word correctly, overbearing question, and the question that kind of banners over the whole message this morning is, do you live your life in such a way? Do you say to your family, your wife, do you say to your children, do you say to your co-workers, and we're going to get into the family and the, and the work environment and, and the, the, the general community environment. This morning we'll focus on personal and church environment. Next week we look at the environment outside. Do you live and speak in such a way that folks know that the most valuable thing in your life is your relationship to Christ? Do you speak and live in that way? Do you act, do you talk in such a way that when others see you, they know the most important thing to that person is their relationship with Christ. That's the most important thing to them. Not their family, not their career, not their finances, not their health. It is their relationship with Christ. So the preeminence of Christ, and again, that word preeminence, the, the fact that Christ is above everything else. In this view, as we have so many different categories for so many different things, there are two categories. There is Christ and everything else. There is Christ and everybody else. Do you revere Christ in such a way that shows that? That ought to be displayed in our personal purity. Our relationship with Christ and our love and desire and treasure of Him ought to be displayed in our personal purity. He says, if you were raised with Christ, if you are a believer, then here's the first command. Seek those things which are above. You look down through these verses as we don't have time necessarily to pull each out verse by verse, but you'll see that he basically says, as I paraphrase, seek to uncover the hidden reality that is your death in Christ, His life in you, and our coming appearance with Him. As you look at these verses, you see something very interesting. You see that there is something that is hidden that will eventually appear. It's not as though it's not here. It's not as though it's not real. It's not as though that it is somewhere else and that it is on its way. It is that it is real and it is here and it is now, but it is hidden. But that it will one day perfectly appear to you. Now what are we commanded to do with that? Well, we can't know it. It's hidden and one day it will appear. No. He says, seek it. Seek out the hidden truth that is, you are as believers are dead in Christ. Dead to self. You have died already. 
The fear and sting and weight of death is behind you. You sit there and you go, I don't comprehend, I don't fully understand. What does that mean? What am I to do to that? Seek it out. Not only that, but that you are not dead, but you are alive in Christ. The paradox where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? How does that flesh out? What do I do? All I can give you this morning for sake of time and from this text is you as believers need to go seek that truth out. Go seek it out. Don't be content to sit and wait for the day when Christ appears to you and it becomes, it becomes known and seen and obvious and clear. You seek it out now, believer. The coming appearance with Him. It struck me as I was reading, actually no, listening to, uh, I think it was John Piper. It's not as though Christ is not here. It's that He is here. But He's hidden. He will appear. It's not that He's not here. It's not that He is, as it says, He is seated above at the right hand of God. But He is here where? He dwells within us. He is all and in all. One day He will appear. We are to seek that truth. We are to set our minds on the reality, verse 2, that Christ alone is sitting above at the right hand of God. He says, seek out that truth that is hidden. Set your mind on this truth. That there is your Redeemer, your Savior, the man, Christ, sitting at the right hand of God. At Christmas time, we celebrate that God incarnate or God became flesh and became man. That God stepped from His realm into our realm as a man. God in flesh. Do you know what we miss? At the ascension, a man, Jesus, stepped back up into heaven. You know that? I have a man representing me before God. Who is that man? It is Jesus Christ. So as much as we celebrate God who came as man, we need to celebrate and set our minds on and consider the reality and the truth that there is a man sitting in heaven with God on my behalf. Set your mind on that. Set your mind on that truth, on that reality. We get so distracted about what is not reality. You know that? We get so discouraged by what is petty and not even, not even worth calling reality in comparison to the reality that is Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He is above all things and He is there on my behalf making intercession for me. Set your mind. Set your focus. Dwell on that reality. And allow that to apply itself to the reality that is this life. Thirdly, he calls us to execute the sin of the body. Verse 5, put to death your members. And he goes there into a list. He says, because these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And then he tells you to also put off another list. 
And we don't have time to break down each list this morning, but one list is all the things that come into a man. All the things that he desires. You look at that. Fornication, uncleanness, his passion, his evil desire, his covetousness. We need to kill those things. We also need to put off all the things that come out of a man. Anger, malice, wrath, blasphemy, filthy language. We need to cut those things off. We need to execute those things. There's an input and an output. And if you will control your input, it will help control your output. And if you will control your output, it will help control your input. Because what you put out is what you receive, and what you receive is what you put out. He says we need to kill this, execute these things. I would love to be able to preach to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If any man in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are come new. I would love to be able to take that out of context, twist it all up, and preach to you the day you got saved. Boom, you are perfect. You don't have to worry about it anymore. But we all know better, don't we? If that's what the Word of God said, we will all look at ourselves and say, well, either God's Word is not true or I'm not saved. Wouldn't we? We'd have to. God has not chosen to do that for us. He has chosen that upon salvation, He comes and He enters in and He creates a new kind of will within us. For it is He who wills and works within us to do and perform it according to His good pleasure. But He has commanded and given us the responsibility as believers to do certain things according to His leading, according to His command. Namely here, execute sin. <clears throat> Forgive me. Verses 6 and verse 7. Do that while remembering and considering, number one, the wrath of God, and two, the change in you upon salvation. There are two things that you need to remember as you execute sin. Number one, remember how much God hates sin. Remember the wrath of God against sin. And you can remember that in several different facets, in several different ways. You can look at how God treated sin in the Old Testament amongst His people. You can look at how God treated sin in the New Testament, in the early church. You can look at what God says about sin. You can look at what God did to His only Son on the cross of Calvary. That is how serious and angry and wrathful and just God must be and is about sin. Remember that as you try to put to death sin in your own body. It's good to remember that. But also remember your salvation. Also remember how He has created something new in you. Also remember how you once walked compared to how now you do walk and desire to walk and thank Him and praise Him for that and remember that that is not you being good, but that is Christ in you. And by the power of Christ in me, I can say no to the desires of the flesh, 
and say yes to the deeds and leading of Christ. So it's displayed in personal purity and then it's displayed in Christian fellowship. Verses 9 through 17. Verses 9 through 11. He says, Do not lie one to another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You see there the marks of the Christian community or the church. If you look down at 15, you'll see we're talking about the body now. The marks here of a, the body of Christ are listed through these next several verses. And we will complete and become the thing as a community that God wants us to be as we as individuals put off and take on in our individual lives. As we put on the new man where Christ is all. Verse 10, renewed in the knowledge of Him. I can't separate in these verses, the individual responsibility from the responsibility of the group. So as we go from your personal responsibility into how the church ought to act, here is your mesh, because the church is made up of individuals. Right? We can't come in here and say, hey, the church ought to be like this, but individuals don't carry it out and be like that. So I am preaching to us as a church, the Word of God is speaking to us as a church, but it's not going to work and it's not going to be effective if you don't take it individually and personally as your aim and as your goal when you come into the church and as you function as a church. So you look in verse 9, he says, Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Well, that's an easy one. Okay, when I come in here, I've got to tell the truth. I can do that. I'll try to be truthful. It's not what he's talking about. That word do not lie is uh, pseudomai. You've heard of a pseudonym, haven't you? That's where somebody, is it a pseudonym, a pseudonym, a pseudo something or other. Miss June taught me she didn't do a good enough job or it'd still be stuck in there. 15 years ago. 20 years ago. Writers have pseudonyms, Right? Right? I, I, my name is Aaron Wall, but when I write, I write and I sign, you know, Mark Twain or whatever it is. Right? Pseudonym. That's what this word is talking about. We are not allowed to come in here and pretend to be somebody that we are not. And when you consider the Baptist church, we are prone to to come in here and pretend to be something that we are not. Uh, Oceano's not here this morning. Jerion has the flu, and so we're thankful that she didn't bring him. She's not here this morning. She has said to me regularly, and for those, most of you I think are aware, she got saved just this year. I handed her her first Bible about a year and two weeks ago. She's been with us for more than a year now, by the way. Got saved just a couple of months ago. We're looking to get baptized on February 9th. And she has said to me several times in her struggle in her Christianity is 
I just hate to come in here and pretend to be something that I'm not. All you folks are so great and so nice and so good. And I say, Oceana, I hope that we never put on false pretense and try to, try to show that to you. And I'm not saying that she's accusing us of that, and I'm not accusing you of doing that. But that is kind of the common thought. That is kind of the, Casting Crowns loves to use the term, the stained glass masquerade. Where we come into church, we come inside these stained glass windows, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine, how are you? Somebody asked me just this week, you know, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, doing good, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing good. You know what, that's a lie, I'm not doing good. I got a sick baby and I've been sick and I'm just not in a good place right now. It was some guy I didn't even know, I called him about the sound equipment here, I figure I'm, I'm representing the church. I'm the pastor. I call people and lie to people. That's a great way to start. That's just where I'm at, but it'll be fine. We all go through that kind of stuff. I'm making light of it. It is a small thing, but I believe that it is terribly important that we come into the fellowship of the saints and that when we come, we find a safe place where you are willing to take down the mask and say, well, it hasn't been so great. Well, I'm struggling with this. Well, I'm suffering in this way. Well, I, I, I'm dealing with. The Satan has been attacking me in. My flesh has been bothering me with. My wife won't stop, whatever. My kids are. Now, I'm not saying we come in here and blast one another. Y'all know better than that. But some of the best fellowship that I've had with some of you in this room is when we've been willing to say to one another, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Because we're all struggling with something. And no matter how specific the category is, as you go up the ladder, it all falls under the same problems and the same Difficulties, and that is that we're all flesh and we're all frail and we're all dealing with sin and we're all under the attack of, dev of, the, of the devil. Let's not come in here and lie to each other about that. Let's not come in here and pretend that, we're not, that we are somebody who we are not. Let's not come in here and pretend that everything is rosy in our lives situationally. Now I love that we come together under the banner of the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the joy that is I am a sinner saved by grace and nothing can steal that kind of joy. I take joy not in what is happening to me or what I've been able to accomplish, but that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And we're going to get to that in the last couple of verses. If I don't quit leaning on this podium and get back to my outline. But where you just read over, don't lie to one another. Okay, I'm not supposed to lie. That's an easy one. Keep reading. Stop. Wait a minute. I still think one of the heaviest uh, commandments is the commandment to not take the Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's got nothing to do with you not using swear words. That's got everything to do as God looked at His people and said, you are my people, called by my name. Don't you take that in vain. We are Christians. And so we better not take that in vain. We better not come in here and pretend to be something that we're not. Do not lie. In verse 10 and 11, 
something that we need to hear, something we need to focus on, but time is eluding me. We regard no man according to the flesh. You'll remember that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. No partiality given or sought after. That's what verse 9-10-11 is about. Not only are we not going to show partiality, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Indian, it doesn't matter whether you're old or young or middle-aged. It doesn't matter whether you're a single or a couple or a family. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or you are poor or you are middle-income. It doesn't matter whether or not uh, you're good-looking or bad-looking or somewhere in between. Which we're all somewhere in between, I guess. None of those things matter. It doesn't matter whether you were saved when you were 2 or saved when you were 92. I would wonder about that person who saved when they were two, but you know my point. The point is that in Christ, Christ is all. God help us not to look at any of those externals. God help us not to look on the outward appearance because God looks on the heart. God help us not to regard any man after the flesh, for we don't even know Christ after the flesh anymore. We think Christ was a, a decent white guy with a beard and long hair. He wasn't. Some kind of Arabian or something. We don't regard him after the flesh. It doesn't matter. We need to remember that. We need to acknowledge that. We need to apply that. Because we are prone and susceptible and being pressed on every side to not believe that or act like that. From within and from without. Look at verse... 12, therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Put on. He talked about what we put off. And now as a group, he talks about what we put on. Look at verse 12. This is some, a, a book that Brad gave me that has stuck with me because it's, it's been very good and it is very applicable regularly through the Word of God. Look at verse 12 and tell me if you don't see it. Number one, you have been chosen. As the elect of God. Now, I'm not a Calvinist, just in case you're concerned about that. But there is a truth that is undeniable for the Biblicist, which is what I am. I'm not Arminian either. There is a truth that you have been chosen by God, elect, separated, holy unto God, and beloved. Isn't that something? Isn't that special? Doesn't that create a joy and a comfort in your heart that the God, the creative universe, with all the people that are scattered throughout this whole entire world, through all the human history of man, I, I, I am regularly, I regularly have my eyes open to how small I am. This morning, Joel Medley stood before 500 Africans in Tanzania that you have never met and never will meet, most likely. Whole races and groups and countries, thousands, millions, trillions of people. And yet God says, I have chosen you, I have separated you unto myself, and I love you. There's a reality in that that ought to give us the joy and the strength to do what God is calling us to do. Because you've been chosen, separated, and loved 
So we are to put on the robes of suffering as Christ suffered for us. If you look at all those things in that list, be merciful, be kind, be humble, be meek, be long-suffering, bear with one another, forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. What is that? All of those things are choosing to suffer for the good and sake of others. Choosing to suffer for the good and sake and name of Christ. You want to pick all these apart, you can and should, but as I make an over a banner mark over this list, it is that we are called to let this mind be in you, who is also in Christ Jesus, who chose the suffering of the cross. And so we choose to suffer. We practice and perform these miracles in the perfect bond of love. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Jesus taught it. You've heard it. You know it. And here it is yet again. How are you going to bond all these things together? How are you going to complete this? You're going to complete this. All the, all the law and all the prophets are wrapped up in these two. The first commandment, love the Lord thy God. And the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. The perfect, completing bond of love. As I said a second ago, all these speak to putting others before self because of what we have in Christ. We ought to be the mark of a believer. And we preach this back in John. One of the, the true marks of a believer. How will they know that you're my disciples? Because you love one another. And we come to it here again. How are they going to know us? How are they going to mark us? How are we going to show that Christ is more important than anything and everything I want? Because we are going to show ourselves selfless. In light of Christ. As we deal horizontally, we do it selflessly under the power and the knowledge of what Christ has already done for us and that as we sacrifice to others, He won't allow us to go without what we need. As we sacrifice for others, He will minister back to us. Or as I minister to you, you in turn, because of our reciprocating love, you minister to me. Look at the resulting in verse 15. Verse 14 and 15 together. Resulting in love, peace, and thanksgiving. Peace and love, y'all. You know what they were missing? God. They're missing God. Listen, the devil is great at, oh, y'all just need to love one another. The world knows we need to love one another. They tell us all the time, we everybody just be kind and love one another. Everything will be all right. Just be peaceful. You know what you can't do? Love anybody or be peaceful with everybody without God. And you say, well, where's God in this peace, love, and thanksgiving? Who are we thankful to and who are we thankful for for the power to accomplish these things? When you go thanklessly through your days, you are as the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. There's no one to be thankful for. Or excuse me, there's no one to be thankful to other than myself. I think it's, I think it's incredibly interesting. and I, this, this comes back up within me at every thanksgiving. 
that one of the strongest marks of a believer, as we look at all the different marks, ought to be someone who is full of gratitude and thankfulness. It's here in verse 15. It's going to say it again in verse 17. These last two verses, 16 and 17, and I preached whole messages. Uh, I say plural. I preached an entire message just from these two verses. I'm going to try not to do that to you because it's 1139. But the last two verses are the path to how we are going to accomplish this. I love, y'all know, I love when God's Word continues by telling me how. Because I so often want and desire and know what I ought to be. But Lord, help me to know how. Help me to put particulars on it. Help me to go where I ought to go today and say what I ought to say today and do what I ought to do today. First of all, you have got to. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, you are going to fail. You have got to meditate and marinate in the Word of God. Every day. Every day. Why every day? Because we are so weak and frail and we'll forget it by the, by the next day. We need it every day. We need it two or three times a day. We need it morning, noon, and night. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. There's a difference. What, what we're doing as we read through Colossians is we're taking the rake and we're kind of raking the leaves up of God's word. Right? Just read a chapter a day. It won't take you five minutes. Just read a chapter. But if Christ is in you, and you have any desire, as you rake, and you find ground that's been turned up, you're going to want to get the shovel out. And you're going to dig down a little bit deeper and go, what is that? What does that mean? I, that's what I am hoping for out of all this. As you are reading through and raking up leaves, I hope that I come and I am pointing out to you, hey, dig there, hey, dig there, hey, dig there. So that the word of Christ can dwell in you richly. So many Christians are failing at their duty in Christ because they never go past raking up the leaves and just skimming the surface. And they're taught from the pulpit even that as long as you just love everybody and you just thank God a lot and you just go your merry way that you're going to be just fine. That is not going to hold you when the storm of life hits. And that is going to leave you speechless and unable to help and looking uncaring to a lost and dying world when they come at you with their great sorrow and their great woe. We have responsibilities as carriers of the gospel, to let the word of Christ dwell richly. To meditate on it, to marinate on it, to let it build up within our hearts, to live and act on the richness that is the word of God. Communicate. Let the word of Christ dwell which in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. We need to communicate the truth of God through all different types of music. How do you think Paul lists psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? I like the psalms. I love the psalms. I need the psalms. The psalms are good. 
I encourage you to be daily in a psalm. I have regularly, and I continue to encourage you to do that. Be in a psalm. I love the hymns. There is good richness in these hymns. And as I have gone through week by week and hymn by hymn and typed up and read through all these hymns, there is a richness and a fullness and a truth in these hymns that we can share one with another. And there are also spiritual songs. There are spiritual songs. There are those songs of chorus and songs of praise and songs of making melody and songs just uh, singing to the Lord. A lot of our hymns we sing about the wonderful truths of God. Some of our hymns we sing to the Lord prayerfully, but a lot of them we sing about God. The spiritual songs we sing to the Lord. And I could go on a tangent about that, but I won't do that. We need to learn how to do that, how to sing to the Lord, how to put our pride aside, how to realize the truth that the hidden Christ is not gone, but He is here and He wants us and has, has declared to us that it is beautiful in His sight that we would sing to Him. So we come together to encourage one another, singing and sharing together to the Lord. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts, at the end of verse 16, to the Lord. We communicate truth and we encourage one another in singing together to the Lord. You know what I can't do if I don't come to church? I can't sing together with you to the Lord. I can't do it. I can sing to the Lord at home by myself. But here in the Word of God, if you are not here with us singing together, then you are missing out on part of the completion of being a part of the body of Christ. Encouraging one another and doing this with grace in your hearts. That's why the folks who aren't able to be here, they say, oh, I just miss being at church. And that's why when I see folks who come into church and they're going through a struggle, they're going through a difficulty, and they say, it's just so good to be here. And I can see it on their faces as I sing and as I preach that there is a grace in their heart. And they go, this is great. This is wonderful. Six days later, we're apt to forget we're apt to deprioritize. We're apt to miss out on the opportunity to come back in here and to encourage one another and build one another and experience the grace of God all over again as we sing to Him. And then lastly, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we could gain the mental and spiritual discipline of just examining everything we do or don't do under the guise, or not guise, excuse me, but under the magnifying glass of am I doing this for Christ or doing this for me? It would clear up so much fog in our lives. So I'll leave it there. Whatever you do, whatever you say, and he ends with this, giving thanks to God the Father through him and being thankful. He puts a stamp on the last mark of the Christian people as they ought to be, they need to be. If Christ is in your heart, you will be thankful unto God. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed.